If you have your copy of God's Word with you, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. If you are physically able, would you please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. We should not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we are so thankful for your word. Your word is truth, but beyond that, Lord, your word is life. It is relevant and meaning for us, meaningful for us in our everyday lives. And God, I pray as, as we study your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would work among us to open up our hearts, remove any resistance, stubbornness, or rebellion from us. And God, that we may listen to you and we may be changed by you to be more made in the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Most of us like to be positive. Most of us like to hear good things, nice things, easy things. We, we don't like to be drugged down by negative uh, talk all the time. And, and lots of folks tell me, I got to turn off that news or I, I got to, you know, limit my time around this person. We don't like a bunch of negative stuff. In fact, our Christian radio station, Caleb, what do they say? Positive, encouraging Caleb. We like to be positive. But there is value in the negative. I want us to talk about the good 
bad examples today. I want us to talk about what good bad examples are. Why does God give us the bad, the rough, the messy stuff in his word? I mean, personally, I would just assume have not heard about David's slip up. I'd rather not heard anything about that story about Bathsheba. I'd rather just think about him as a hero and no, no bad stuff. Or, you know, I'd rather not know about Noah getting drunk after the whole ark thing was all over and the world started over. I'd rather not hear about that. Or, you know, I'd rather not hear about some of the nasty stuff, some of the dirty laundry, but the Bible just, it lets it out there. It tells us some of the rough stuff. And why does God do that? Why does he give us not just these shining good examples in scripture? Why does he give us some of the bad examples? Why that negative stuff? And that's what I want us to focus on because Paul answers that question in this chapter of 1 Corinthians that we're talking about today. If we go back to it and walk through it, the first thing we see is that bad examples prove the reality of judgment for believers. That's a long statement. It's the longest one I got here. Let's say it again. Bad examples prove the reality of judgment for believers. This is really, really important. Because there is a way of thinking in Christianity, many, many Christians buy into this, I hear it all the time, and that is real Christians don't fill in the blank, whatever you want, whatever sin, whatever bad thing that you can imagine, people look at that sin that they think, uh, if, they, if you're doing that, you know, and, and for some people it might be uh, abuse, and other people it might be drugs, or other people it might be violence, or whatever it is. And people will say, real Christians don't do that, okay? And, and so in, in our minds, if they're doing that, they're not a, quote, real Christian. And so we get to the warning passages in Scripture for believers And where they're talking about this thing and this thing and this thing and the judgment that's going to come upon people who do those things, we tell ourselves, well, it's a good thing. Uh, I'm a real Christian, so I know that stuff doesn't apply to me. It makes me real uncomfortable when they're talking about this stuff. But I'm a real Christian. I know. I prayed. I believed. I trusted the Lord. I'm a real Christian, so I don't have to worry about judgment. But that's completely false. The Bible says, whom I love, I discipline. And uh, by discipline, he doesn't mean write us out a little plan of correction. Uh, he, may, he means to chastise us. He means to set us on the right path. And the Bible is clear that people who are his believers, who are his children, can and do commit serious sins, and that when they do, there are real and specific consequences for those sins. So often we look back at the Old Testament scriptures or what we, we could say the Old Covenant and we say, oh, that's totally different. Those, that's a long time ago. They were under a different covenant, different rules, and that really doesn't have anything to do with us. That's just kind of a bunch of ancient history. Not true, the Apostle Paul would say. He said, we need to look at the way God dealt with his people in the past and it gives us some clues to how he may deal with us now. Listen to the pains that he is at to make sure we don't dismiss Old Testament believers in those stories, and he connects them with us. Listen to this. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. They passed through the sea. Listen to this. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Nowhere in the Old Testament, in the story of Exodus, are you going to hear The children of Israel were baptized. It doesn't say that anywhere in there, okay? 
But Paul is saying it here. He is interpreting it. He's saying these folks were God's people. When he says they were baptized by the cloud, he's talking about that cloud that followed them. Those, you remember those years in the desert? There was a cloud by day and a fire by night, and they were led by Christ. Paul tells us that was actually Christ who was the rock that they got water from. Christ was with them all the way. He says they walked through the sea. That was their baptism, so to speak, when they walked through dry ground on the Red Sea. And he goes on and on in the first five verses, making all these connections. And in other words, he's saying, these were real people of God. So when you read these Old Testament stories about the people who were severely punished up unto and including death for their disobedience, you need to understand that we can't just say, oh, those were just, those were just unbelievers. Those were just bad people who happened to be in the nation of Israel, but they weren't real believers. They weren't real Old Testament saints. Paul is saying, nope, those folks were believers, You know why? They all believed when he said about that Passover angel, they put that blood over the door. They believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. They believed and left their homeland and went to a journey to a holy land that they were being called to, a promised land. They were believers. And so these warnings in Scripture are there to help us understand there is real judgment for believers. Sometimes this comes to a question. Uh, are, Are you talking about hell? No, we're not. We're talking about the reality of judgment in our lives. Yes, does the Bible say there's therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ? Absolutely, because you will not be condemned to hell. If you are a believer, you have an eternity in heaven. What we're talking about here, justice, uh, judgment, chastisement for believer, we're talking about the law of the harvest that the Bible talks about over and over and over. What you plant is what you're going to harvest. What you sow, that you will reap. This is a law of consequences. When you behave a certain way, when you go against God's patterns, there are going to be consequences for your disobedience and rebellion. And just like there are today, there were for those saints in the Old Testament. Secondly, these, uh, these bad examples help us to alter our desires. Look at verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. You see, we all get uh, fleshly or wrong or immoral thoughts passed through our heads at one time or another. And our question is, do we, do we go and get right with God, immediately flush those things out, think on holy things? Or do we dwell on those thoughts? Do we begin to, to lust after the evil thoughts of the flesh? And, and in that, in that uh, decision that our minds have to deal with every time we get wrong thoughts coming through our head, Paul says these things in the past, they were there so to help us not hold on to evil desires. And I got to thinking about how do we, how do we make this connection? And and the easiest way I could think of it is this. How many of you have had a food that you really, really, really liked? All right. Until. Until that day you got sick when you ate that food. 
And then all of a sudden, that food that you loved, that food that you craved, whenever you thought about that food, when you saw that food, you smelled that food, instead of craving it, it turned your stomach. You wanted to get away from it. I had an experience like that when I was in college. One day, we were out just doing dumb stuff like college students often do. And and so we started making, we started saying, daring each other to eat things. And we began with Pringles. Now, I love me some Pringles, all right? I got the fever for a flavor of a Pringle, if you know what I mean. I love Pringles, okay? But um, they started adding ingredients on to Pringles. And some peanut butter went on the Pringle. And some mayonnaise went on the Pringle. And I don't even remember what else. But those two things, and I was a man, so I was going to take the dare, and I ate it. But I'm going to tell you, I didn't eat Pringles for a long, long time. Because every time I went to eat Pringles, I thought of that peanut butter and mayonnaise topping. And it made me, I didn't desire Pringles. I didn't want them anymore. And he's saying these examples in the Bible are to be triggers for us that when these temptations come along, that we so identify with the stories of what God did and the devastation that occurred for people who didn't follow him, that, that we're like, ooh, why would, I even, why would I even want to flirt with that? Why would I even want to get into that? Man, I know, I know the consequence. I know how bad that is. And so these bad examples are meant to change our desires, to alter them, to temper them, to make them, when, when those things come along to tempt us, that we're like, oh, no, yeah, yeah, I know it sounds good, but mm, Pringles and mayonnaise, nope, that's not for me. And so we, we, we don't want to have anything to do with that. Third, these bad examples help us to remember the consequences. Bad examples help us to remember consequences. We, um, <clears throat> we, we, we hear lots of don't do this and don't do that in our lives. I mean, we, we start from a very young age hearing the word no. And don't, no, stop, you know, all these kinds of words. But, but yet we, we often learn very quickly uh, just to ignore those words or to use that word just for ourselves and others. I mean, when I was a youth minister, Caleb was a baby, and one of my youth thought it would be fun to say no, 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 like constantly, and then Caleb began to say no, no, no to us all the time, and that, that was awful, but um, these, these commands, we can remember them, but there's something about the way that we're wired. There's something about the, the way God created us that if there's an image, if there's a story, if there's a picture, somehow that stands out so much more. So if we hear, don't sin because it'll lead to bad things, well, that's true. And, and we might agree with that, and hopefully we hold on to that. But if we bring up a story, hey, you know what? Uh, don't grumble. Because God might send an army of vipers uh, into your community, and, and you might all be bit, and you might all be poisoned, and you might all be dying, because, you know, that's how seriously God takes complaining and murmuring and gossiping. Ooh, all of a sudden, complaining and murmuring and gossiping just got a lot more serious. We may start to realize, maybe God, that that. That does matter, you know? And maybe we need to be careful sometimes when we share a prayer request, that we're really sharing a prayer request and not just spreading someone's business. And maybe we need to be careful that we don't complain uh, against those who are doing God's work. And, and we think about these 
There the other things, and he's referencing these Old Testament stories, and I don't have time to go into all of them, but, you know, Paul's saying, hey, remember that time people uh, got into idolatry? Oh, yeah, and the angel of death showed up, and he just started going to town killing thousands of people. Oh, yeah, and you remember those folks who rebelled against godly leadership? You, you remember when the, that earth opened up and just swallowed thousands and thousands of them? And he's, these early readers... They knew all of what he was talking about because the New Testament hadn't yet been written. Their Bible, so to speak, was the Old Testament. They knew these stories that he was referencing. And he said, listen, there's real consequence to immorality. There's real consequence to rebellion. There's real consequence to idolatry. All of these things are real, and they've been pictured. Now, we have this problem. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, you know, but, but that doesn't happen anymore. Well, yeah, does God strike dead all of us when we rebel every single time? No, because none of us would be left. But God says, I did these things for an example. And it's not just in the Old Testament. We look in the New Testament in the early days of the church and in Acts, and we see the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that whole story about how they lied? And, um, you know, no one forced them to do anything, but they lied about how much they made. They said, oh, I'm going to give all the money that we get from selling this land, and we're going to be generous and give it to the church. And they made this big public pledge and promise, but they had this little deal on the inside. I guess they, they, they may have even meant it right at first, but after a while, I thought, you know, that's kind of a lot of money. The church doesn't need that much money. No, no, no. But... It'd be embarrassing to back down on the promise now. So we're going to still go ahead with this whole thing and act like we're giving the whole amount of money we got. And in fact, they don't. And we know the story that they both come separately to the apostle Peter. And they just commit that lie. They just tell it again. And Peter says, you haven't just lied to me. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to the church. And they drop down. And the second one comes in and Peter says, hey, same guys that carried your spouse out the door. They're about to carry you out the door too. Now, does every time somebody tells a lie in church or to the church, do they all drop dead? No. I mean, but it's God saying, I'm serious. You know, I've got to the places as a pastor, I don't ask people, hey, you plan on coming to church soon? Because I'm thinking, they're going to tell me what they think I want to hear. They go, oh, yeah, pastor, we're going to be there. We're, uh, I'm not even going to just, like, give you that opportunity to lie. Because God takes lies. He takes integrity. He takes all those things seriously. The fact that he does not repeat that same exact punishment that he put there as an example does not mean those consequences are not real. It means that God chooses to dole out judgment in different ways in different forms, but he put those things there for us to see and to know God is serious about his word. He's serious about his commands. Fourth. Bad examples trigger a sober humility. Bad examples trigger sober humility. Here's what I mean by that. In verse 12, he says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Again, if we bought into this thinking that's so common that, oh, yeah, those people who did that bad stuff, they're not real Christians. So what do we do? We, we let ourselves off the hook. We say, you know, I don't really have to worry about this because I am a real Christian. 
But when we take the word of God seriously that says believers can and have and continue to commit real sins and that there's extreme consequences to these things, then that sobers us up. That helps us to see, whoa, I should take this seriously and I should be humble. I should not look at the examples of these saints who went on before us, whether they be the children of Israel in the desert or whether they be Ananias and Sapphira or others in the New Testament who sinned. I shouldn't just look at them and say, oh, yeah, they're, they're sorry, no good, son of a guns, and I would never be like them. Rather, we should be humble and say, hey, be careful. Be careful, Tim. <laughs> Don't think you're beyond that. Don't think because you've been a Christian for so long or you're a certain age or you have a certain church position that you would never fall. David fell. Many, many men and women of God throughout Scripture have done horrible things when they got to that place of pride where they thought, hey, I'm here, I'm arrived, I really don't have to worry. So Paul tells us, listen, Be careful you don't fall. That is, recognize within yourself that there is a vulnerability to sin. There is from the flesh that we will have to deal with the rest of, uh, of our lives until we go to glory. There's always going to be those impulses. There's going to be the whispers of Satan. There's going to be the temptations of the world. There's always going to be these opportunities to sin. And if we think we're over and above them, then we're actually the next ones who are about to fall. We are that close to the edge. It is when we humbly realize, God, I'm nothing without you, and I need your strength, I need your spirit, I need your guidance. God, I need your help to be careful. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. As we have that humble and sober, serious attitude about sin, that we can be protected by leaning on Christ rather than being prideful in our own abilities. Fifth and finally, Bad examples provide hope for escape. Bad examples provide hope for escape. You see, if the bad examples in the Bible, if they were just there to, and just, hey, these people, they did bad, and you're going to do bad too. And uh, they, got, they got demolished, and you're going to die too, or you're going to, you know, that, that'd be real depressing if it was, you are doomed Because those who came before you, and Paul actually calls them, they were your fathers, they were your brothers, they were your ancestors in the faith. If we didn't understand that there was some grace and some hope, that'd be awful. When I was a youth minister, one particular Wednesday night, we were going around our youth group, and I was asking the kids about what they wanted to do. When, what they thought they would be, what they hoped to become one day. And, and everybody was going, trying to give their best answer. And I'm sure I was leading into some great theological point. I, I've forgotten what it is, but I'll never forget the response of one of these kids. Uh, I'm going to call him Larry. It's not his real name. Because just in case he's out there somewhere. But this broke my heart. Larry was a great kid. Larry was likable. Larry was funny. I mean, you wanted to be around Larry. But when we got around from engineer to farmer to teacher to whatever, and I called on Larry, and Larry said, I'm going to be a drunk just like my daddy. 
And he was a really funny kid, but he wasn't joking just then. Because Larry thought for himself, I've been a part of this legacy. My parents' marriage was destroyed. My father is who he is. Everybody knows he's a drunk. Everybody knows. He didn't see any future ahead for himself other than the, the picture that his father had painted. He didn't see that there could be a different life for him. And I've lost touch with him, but I think of him all the time, and I hope and I pray when I think of him, God help him know he doesn't have to repeat the sins of the Father. He can break that generational curse. He can make a change in his family. He can live for you, God. And the examples in Scripture are put there not to depress us about the people before us, and they messed up, so you better be depressed because you're going to mess up too. They're put there to warn us so we won't make this, those mistakes. We don't have to sin. We can depend on Christ. We can look to him and his strength to do the right thing. I love verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, your temptation, in some big exception, that's bigger and badder and worse than anybody else's, in case you've been using that as an excuse. And listen to this. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Look to God, and he's going to help you find that way out. See, the bad examples of Scripture are really good for us as believers because we learn how serious sin is. We learn how prone we are and how dangerous it is. But we also learn that we don't have to go there, that if we look to Christ, even if we've come from a background, a past of our own sin or a past of our own mistakes or things that done, people have done in our family or things that people have done to us. No matter what there is in the past, God is saying there is a hope and there is a future. And I will be there for you if you look to me to provide a way of escape. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, God, for your love and your grace and your mercy. But God, your word tells us very clearly that you are a God of holiness. And God, you are the almighty judge. And Lord, help us, even as we embrace your love, mercy, and kindness, to not forget that you are also holy and that you are the one true judge. Help us to remember that when we stray from your path, we are inevitably courting destruction. We are inevitably courting damage and heartache in our lives. And you want to you save us from those things, God. You, you called to us. Lord, for those of us who, um, as we all do at some point in time, those of us who've turned away from you, help us not to be stay down and defeated, but to remember your grace and to look to you to bring us back and restore us. God, no matter what's happened in us, by us, to us, God, let us not believe Satan's lies. Because, God, you do have good things ahead for us. Help us to heed these bad examples so we can live good lives and experience the goodness that you have planned for us.
God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.